Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing the latest adaptation of The Call of the Wild, the inexplicable sequel to 2016's The Boy, Brahms, The Boy 2, and the also inexplicable Impractical Jokers movie? Oh, okay. Let's get started. What do you say, Buck? Adventure of a lifetime. You've been sleeping for two days. In my bed. So for some reason, I thought this was a Disney release. I mean, I'm technically right, because it's actually a 20th Century Studios release. Uh, 20th Century Studios being the new name for 20th Century Fox, which... I don't know why they just didn't call 21st Century Studios. Like, why? Why? I mean, I, removing the Fox, I get, but why not also update the time that we're talking about? But at any rate, um, the uh, this was this is more tangentially a Disney release, not a an actual like Disney Studios release. At any rate, um, I never read the book. I've heard. You know, I know the plot basically from Phalus's review of the really terrible animated version of Call of the Wild, which was done in conjunction with a terrible animated version of White Fang. Check out those reviews by Phalus uh, for a good laugh. But um, yeah, I never read Jack London. The big survival fiction I read in high school was Hatchet. They They really pushed Hatchet for us. They never really got us to read Jack London. But at any rate, um, yeah, it's... Uh, the other big thing that's been, you know, talked about is the fact that this is, you know, the whole thing of the, the, that Buck is a CG creation. And they, there was a thing going around film Twitter of the behind the scenes of it being an actual guy in mocap. So it's basically kind of like how Andy Serkis played Caesar for Planet of the Apes, but with a guy playing Buck the dog. And... Like, I don't know why it's a big deal now when it wasn't when we were all big on praising Andy Serkis for his performance as Caesar. But for some reason, somebody plays a dog and it's just like, what happened to the real dog? Is there a dog union actor, actors union rep that this is that that we make it a big deal about? Because the only thing I can think is that we're not we're still not quite there to one to one recreation of animals in a and, you know, using computers um, but yeah, uh, the whole thing about this movie, for those who aren't familiar with the plot, is you have a, um, and they actually, uh, recreated it as, as described in the book, uh, Buck is a St. Bernard Scott Collie mix, and they did their best to kind of make that appearance for the dog, and Buck is just like this big glumping beast, and, um, he's at first the, um, the pet of a judge down in, I want to say, Georgia or somewhere in the South. We don't, we don't spend hardly any time with him. That's like the opening scene. Bradley Whitford plays the, uh, the judge and he's only seen once. Uh, but Buck gets kidnapped and sold to, uh, be a sled dog up North in Alaska. And that's where he initially becomes the sled dog for a, um, I don't know if this is in the book as well, but he, begin, he becomes the sled dog for a uh, mail carrier and then eventually become, befriends um, 
I didn't catch his name, but he's the one played by Harrison Ford in the movie. Uh, let me see. Doesn't say. That's fun. Um, at any rate, yeah, like, um, Harrison Ford, once he enters the movie, it becomes really solid because he's, you know, as much as he's, you know, he's the lead star, he's a lead actor for a reason. And he does, I think, a fantastic job acting against this dog. And sort of, he kind of has that same grizzled old man energy that he brought to Han Solo in uh, Force Awakens. Um, John Thornton is his character's name. But um, I think the other one that's not really getting a lot of press, even though he's, and he's only shown in the trailer once, is Omar C., who is a French, I believe, actor. Um, he's best known for being uh, in the Intouch- in the Intouchables, which is the basis for that uh, Bra- um, Brian Cranston, Kevin Hart uh, melodrama that they did a while back. I forget what that was called, but um, he was also in Jurassic World, and he was Bishop in Days of Future Past. But um, I believe he's he, so he's a black French actor, and he plays Perrault, the uh, mail carrier, and he does a fantastic. He's great in the first act of this movie. And then he's, he's got, um, uh, Cara Gee, G G E E, um, a Canadian actress of indigenous, who's an indigenous, you know, Canadian indigenous actress who plays his wife. She's pr- best known for Canadian stuff. It looks like I don't recognize any of it, but she does a good job, uh, for as little, but she's not really given a whole lot to do except kind of, uh, bounce off of Omar C. But Psy? C? I want to say C, but S-Y. At any rate, um, yeah, this movie is, it, 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 it pushes along. It's not um, like a two-hour movie. I th- don't think, how long is this? It wasn't too long. An hour, 40 minutes, so a solid chunk of movie. Didn't really rush. It kind of dragged a bit in the middle, just because that's the low, That's kind of like the most boring part of the story. Um you know, right at that point between um, when he uh, when he's finally settled in with uh, Perot and he and before he pick, gets picked up by John Thornton, uh, it's it's kind of the most boring part of the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really solid movie. I think it's getting kind of railed for some reason. As I, I know, um, Matt Buck over at a uh, film you know uh, Film Brain. Has didn't really get into it, but personally, I didn't mind. This is actually like my second favorite movie of the year so far. Granted, it's only February, but yeah, I I really dug this movie. I think um, Pearson Ford is good, but I also loved Omar C uh, as Perot. Um, I think the effect for Buck is hit or miss, but it never bothered me. Like it's he's dog because the thing that people don't recognize really know about the book and it's something I only know because Phelis brought it up in his review is that in the book Buck is very anthropomorphized he is very much given human thoughts and and action and you know interactions and people treat him and you know people at the time criticized Jack London for making his dog too human like dogs don't really act like that and think like that dogs are not people so I think that movie really kind of captures that idea of Buck is not your average dog. 
And I think uh, they managed to make him um, be dog-like, but there are definitely points where it's like he's very has these very human qualities to him, which was from the book. So I don't know if people are getting mad because they were being accurate to the book or what, but yeah, um, Buck is fairly humanized in the book, and he is he uh, and they've brought that to the screen, so. They're being book accurate. So if you've got a problem, take it up with uh, one Jack London 100 years ago. At any rate, um, yeah, it's... it's um, I think the other biggest problem is that uh, they try to make Dan Stevens, uh, who best no- is best known recently as being the live-action beast for Disney, he is the, the sort of pompous, rich dude who gets screwed over. And he takes it out, his aggressions out on John Thornton, and he's not a very great. He's not a very well written antagonist. I don't know if this is from the book or not, but he just comes in in the third act and as a dick, and um, and then it's just kind of he's just not a very good. And Dan Stevens is also not very charismatic as that act as that character either. So I don't know. Like it wasn't very memorable for me. Like that, I think that's kind of the other problem is that. While Omar C stood out, um, besides Harrison Ford and a cameo and cameos by people like Bradley Whitford and Ke- like like Karen Gillan is listed as the top actress in this cast on IMDb. She is in the movie for three scenes. Why are they pushing Karen Gillan in the cast when she's barely in the movie? She has barely as much screen time as Bradley Whitford. If anything, Kara uh, G, uh, or Gee, however you pronounce that, and uh, Omar C, Cy, goddamn these names, uh, <laughs> whatever they are, uh, the people, the actors playing Perot, Perot and Francois Z, uh, they are, they have more screen time than Karen Gillan. Why? But Karen Gillan is somehow the highest credited actor on IMDb. What the hell, IMDb? But, um, yeah, suffice to say, I think that's kind of the other problem is that the supporting cast of humans is not very interesting. That being said, once again, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie and especially that third act where it's actually digging into Buck wanting to give it, you know, give into his more animal based nature. He, he's this, his time in the Yukon has taken him from a domesticated dog to being more and more feral as he tries to survive in the you know, Alaskan and Yukon tundra. And he eventually does become a wild, a, you know, a wild animal and joins a wolf pack. And I think, you know, when it gets into that aspect of the story, it's good, but the problem is getting there. And it's, and while the stuff with uh, Perot and Francoisie is cool, it does. It takes until we get to the actually top billed actor in the movie, Harrison Ford, for the movie to get really good. And I think that's also that that may stem from maybe they are trying to be as accurate to the book as possible, and Jack London just didn't really have a cohesive narrative going. So I don't know. I don't know if I would have. I don't know how much I would have changed it. I'll have to read the book at some point. But I thoroughly enjoyed um call of the wild for what it was i think people are overblowing the fact that buck is played as is, is a mocap cg creation and i also think uh people are missing the point that if you haven't read the book this is 
parts of the book are still in this movie. So I think people are taking it way too damn seriously. It's just a goofy family adventure movie um, for the most part. Like, it's very slapstick heavy at points, especially with Buck, like, being like, whoop, Buck's too big. But at the same point, like, they also take it really seriously at one point where Buck is re- is um, ready to attack uh, Dan Stevens' character. And he's it takes, like, five people to hold him back. That's the other thing. I don't know if that's from the book either, but Buck is, like, freaking uh, Hulkamania running, <laughs> running wild. Uh in this movie because he's like, he's at one point, he even like, you know, helps push a gigantic fallen tree to protect one of the, one of the wolf pack members. And it's just like, okay, how superhuman, how super canine level strengths, uh, what kind of super canine level strength are we dealing with here? But I think that kind of plays into the fantasy. It's a bit of a fantasy movie it's very light fantasy because this is clearly not an average dog this is a very above average like in very you know not very normal dog which is kind of the point is that he's very abnormal and that's what ultimately leads him to um also i mean considering he is a saint bernard mix i mean i don't know how powerful those dogs are but i mean it's not it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility but it's definitely pushing it so yeah, uh, Call of the Wild, people are saying, people are not digging it. I personally thought it was good, and I enjoyed my time. I also saw it with my family, and we all enjoyed ourselves. But it's the same thing with Doolittle, man. People need to take need to take themselves a lot less seriously and just enjoy enjoy things for a change. They don't have to be amazing, they just have to be enjoyable, and this is better, this is honestly better than Doolittle, so I don't know what everybody's all got their pant- got their panties in a twist about. Just enjoy yourselves, man. Have fun. It's just a whisper first. Something is happening to him. He knew your boy would find him. Love you, mommy. I love you. You know, I ended my previous review by saying, just learn to enjoy things. And I immediately follow that up with my least favorite movie of the year so far. Because even though I had fun with Call of the Wild, The Boy 2, Brahms, The Boy 2, pissed me off to no end. Whereas, I think I mentioned this before, when I took my nephew to see The Turning, every time it comes up, he loses his mind. Just like three, you know, having, you know, remembering how awful that movie was. Still pisses him off after a whole month has gone by. Brahms is that for me, because number one, I really did not like the first movie. The first boy uh, is, it had an interesting premise that then fell apart because they couldn't commit to it. And it tried to throw in a twist that was insanely stupid and unnecessary. So bringing that back and doing it worse pissed me off to no end. Pissed me off knowing that there could have been 
a far better movie that could have been filmed and produced, and yet we got this. We got saddled with this because because screw us, right? Because why 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 should you expect good things, huh? Why should you deserve good, at least decent and competent movies? Nah, screw you. You get to watch the the boy too, and it's even worse. Okay, the premise this time around is a boy who looks really creepily like the girl from A Quiet Place is with his mom, Katie Holmes, and they are um, victims of a random break-in and assault. Following that event, uh, the boy, Jude, becomes um, like traumatically mute. Like he become, His trauma pushes him to become psychosomatically mute. And the Ma and Katie Holmes, meanwhile, will have consistent flashbacks to the night of the assault while suffering from post-traumatic stress. And so I guess at the suggestion of their, of his psychologist, he, they, the family goes to a guest house for the estate where the last movie took place. And the boy and Jude finds the... Now, far better put together porcelain doll Brahms. Despite the fact that Brahms had to be pieced back together, he is still in one intact when found in the woods, buried in the woods by Jude. And then it becomes creepy kid omen movie where it's like, oh, it turns out Jude is turning evil because of the ghost doll. And then it decides, nah, screw that plot point, because now we're going to go an entirely different plot point that doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, minor spoilers, because you don't, you should not waste your money on this movie. Um, over the course of this movie, Jude becomes the basically the you know Damien from the Omen, and it and he and he's like, it's not me. He does the whole thing of it's not me, it's the doll. And then there's the but this whole time there's a creepy Irish uh, groundskeeper, or he may have been Scottish. He had he had a brogue. I couldn't tell which. I think it was Irish though. And um, it turns out. The big twist is that the creepy Irish groundskeeper um, th that you thought was going to be the one to like try to take out uh, Jude and the and and Brahms that he was going to help the parents fight the evil. No, secretly he's been behind the evil the whole time because the doll drove him crazy. Out just. Out of nowhere, the just all, all of a sudden, that's the story now. And then it becomes the doll possessing Jude, and it and the Irish groundskeeper has to fulfill the doll's wishes by killing the parents or some shit. Damn it! God, this movie sucked, and I feel so bad for Katie Holmes because. Ever since she uh, got out of Tom Cruise's crazy marriage and uh, was was trying to, has been trying to return into acting, her agent has been getting her nothing but shit, man. Like, why this? Why this? She's trying. If she was given good material, she could have 
easily, easily gotten a better movie. But nah, nah, they decide, no, you get to be the lead actress in Brahms the Boy 2. Currently, if I'm not mistaken, the lowest rated movie on on Rotten Tomatoes as of right now. Uh, in fact, why don't we take a, as much as I detest Rotten Tomatoes' whole gimmick, it is fun to see uh, how the how the consensus uh, turns itself up. One is not meant to take Rotten Tomatoes too terribly seriously, but uh, Brahms the Boy 2 is currently at 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. And if we take a look at the movies this year so far. Yeah, man. Doolittle is 14%. The Turning is 12%. And I am not seeing a single digit. So, yeah. Currently, the lowest rated movie of... Tw- and, and let's... Go back to, say, January 3rd. Let's go back to when The Grudge came out. Take a look at the weeks at, weeks leading up to that. Grudge was at 20%. Same as Cats, oddly enough. And then, yeah, The Turning was at uh, 12%. Doolittle is at 14%. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, Christ. And yeah, now um, this is at 10%. It is currently the lowest rated movie on uh, Rotten Tomatoes this uh, this year. And uh, I'm curious about Call of the Wild. I'm not seeing it. Hold on. Okay, there it is. Call of the Wild is at 62%. About on par with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. So... Oh, no, there's another one. Fantasy Island is also at 10%. So, rightfully, Brahms, The Boy 2, and Fantasy Island are at about the same rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Compare this to, say, Metacritic, who is another aggregate um, collector of reviews. In theaters, let's take a look at what we got Focus on wide releases. Come on. There we go. Um, more people on Meta, more critics on Metacritic rated this higher than Fantasy Island. The hell is going on there? Brahms the Boy 2 has a 30 on Metacritic. Fantasy Island has a 21. Okay, that would be why it's only based on 12 reviews versus uh, versus. Rotten Tomatoes, which is based on 30. Okay, that makes more sense. That uh, Metacritic doesn't have as many uh, reviews for some reason. Um, so yeah, this, this movie is absolute garbage. Just like Fantasy Island was. And I don't know why it exists. I don't know why we got another one of these because we didn't need one. Like they were hinting at a, at a, at a sequel, sure. But not only did we get a sequel that's worse, made worse than the previous movie, it completely retcons the original movie. Whereas the original movie 
was was eventually revealed to be a psychological thriller about uh, somebody, some crazy guy living in the walls. Now we're into the realms of ghosts and the and demons and supernatural things because the whole point, the whole revelation in the boy was about how the whole thing was just in the in the woman's head because it turned out there was a creeper living in the walls the whole time. We've just done away with it now, and now it's completely retconned to where the, the doll was always haunted. Because screw you, that's why. Ugh. I will say this too. Normally, when I'm in a theater surrounded by rowdy kids and teenagers, and they're always constantly interrupting the movie... Normally, I would make an issue of it because that you sh no one should sit through movies like that, especially if kids can't chill the hell out. And this time around, I wanted the kids to talk more. I wanted this to become Mystery Science Theater th 3000 or Riff Tracks because, nah, man, this, this, we needed, you know, uh, God, what is it? Master Pancake Theater is another one based out of Austin. Just, we needed to just tear this movie apart because we were having fun. We needed to turn it into a show because this, we sure as hell weren't getting scared by it. Except for the, you know, the people who were easily scared by, uh, by people coming in out of nowhere in the dark. Like, uh oh, the violin thing happened. That means I'm scared now. So yeah, it's like. If this was serious about the fact that we're dealing with two people suffering from trauma, it could have been an, it's a cool idea, but it's wasted on absolutely awful writing and you know filmmaking. It's such a cheap looking movie too. Like oh god, like the first movie looked professional at least. This movie looks like it was shot on shittio almost, and like you could shoot a better like. It's not to the point where it's boo, a Medea Halloween levels of, of really bad filmmaking, but it's definitely not good. It is so, so awful. And I don't get why it exists. There is no reason for Brahms the Boy 2 to even exist. And so far, I'm filling out the slimy nominations for this year. Uh, so far for Worst Picture, we've got Brahms the Boy 2 and Fantasy Island. We've also got Worst Adaptation, The Fantasy Island and The Turning, and Worst Performance, The Kid Who Play The Kid Who Stars in the and The Boy 2. Cause damn this kid was awful. Like, I really hope he gets a better movie after this. Everybody everybody's agent should be fired for allowing them to be in this garbage. And if there's if it's successful enough to make its money back and we get a, a the boy and we get a the boy three that horror movies should be canceled because they shouldn't, because all they've done is proven that they don't need to exist. You've ruined horror movies, Hollywood. You don't get to have them anymore. 10 challenges. <laughs> One. Think this through. Not really. Not really. In Practical Jokers, the movie in theaters February 21st. This last one came as a bit of a surprise. I had no idea this movie was coming out. One, and number two, I didn't realize it was going to be playing in my normal theaters. Like my local Cinemark was playing in Practical Jokers, the movie. 
weird because all I could see the boy at the boy two at the boy two was wasn't good enough for Cinemark. I had to see that at Regal, but a Practical Jokers, that yeah, that's fine. It's it's weird what the uh, what Cinemark decides to show and not show. It's very odd. At any rate, uh, I keep saying that this episode, but. At any rate, um, Impractical Jokers, for those who don't know, is True TV's Jackass. And uh, and that while Jackass was more physical stunts by the leads, this is uh, uh, four comedians who put on uh, those prank shows. It's like it's like if what those douchey YouTube pranksters would actually, if they actually did pranks. Like this is intended to be like, more in line with like bad grand how bad grandpa did um uh like you know audience reactions to like being stupid so the whole point is that these four guys put on um uh pranks and they and the the whole i think the whole thing about winning or i don't know if it's in the show or not but the whole point uh here is we open 30 years ago at a Paula Abdul concert. Okay. And it's the adult men, it's the adult star, you know, at, the comedians playing themselves supposedly as kids. Cause God forbid they just hired kids to play the young versions of themselves. And they get away. They pull a prank and sneak their way into a Paula Abdul concert and mess it up. And, this movie is Paula Abdul, the actual Paula Abdul, invites them to a party in Miami, but only gives them three tickets. Cause you get tickets, you need tickets to a celebrity party, I guess. Stupid premise. And that, but the whole conceit is the four of them have to compete for the three passes to get into Paula Abdul's party in Miami. And so they go from Staten Island down to Miami on a road trip pulling pranks. And this was so unnecessary. Like not every TV show needs to be a movie, but I think this this show missed completely missed the point of what they should do if they did get a movie. This should have been like Jackass. When Jackass got their movie deals, they upped the ante on their stunts. They went balls to the wall, all out, and made amazing, almost, you know, once-in-a-lifetime stunts on the big screen. These guys aren't even sure that they're on the big screen. None of their jokes are worthy of being on the big screen. None of their... You know, none of their humor feels like they've 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 prepared themselves to be on the big screen. The only real celebrities they have are Paula Abdul in a bit with Jaden Smith, which is apparently tied into the actual show show's history. But why is this on the big? It immediately makes me think of the Simpsons bit, both in the movie and one they did for an episode of the show, which is. Hey, here's this thing that you can watch for free on at home on TV, but but you get to pay extra money to see it on the big screen, and it's the exact same thing. At least when the Simpsons made that joke, they had more cinematic quality animation and were telling a story that was much bigger in scope than most um, average Simpson episodes were. 
And yeah, this this did not need to be a big screen movie adaptation, you know, production because it none it none of it feels like it earned the right to be on the big screen. Not that there's like a meritocracy or anything to what becomes on the big screen, but like when you get a movie deal, the whole point is to go big or go home. Why would you get a movie deal and then just not do anything with it? You know, why would you buy? It's like when uh, Luke, when Lucasfilm and 20th Century Fox did the Clone Wars pilot movie to lead into the TV series and it looked like garbage. It's like, why are you on the big screen and why, if you're not going to put in the effort to do anything? Because that's the other thing, too. Like, I mentioned this with uh, the My Little Pony movie, I think. Uh, when that came out, I'm a big fan of the show. I think the show ended on a great note as well. And yet the movie did not think of itself as a movie beyond the animation and the celebrity guest appearances. The writing was still TV grade writing. And I think that's the biggest problem when you're adapting from TV to film is you have to go further than your than your limited scope of being a, being in TV. TV is limited by time, budget, all these other things, and yet when you go to film, you have longer time, bigger budget, do something with that. Otherwise, why are you making a movie? Why did you make a movie if you're not going to put in more effort? And yeah, the I mean, part of me wanted to see this show after this, but from what I hear, the show has only gone downhill. Like they've been going, they've been on the air long enough to for to lose fans because they they haven't improved in the four years, four or five year plus that they've been on the air. So maybe I shouldn't check out the show because apparently, if it's if the quality of the show is of the qual is equal to the quality of this film, then there's no reason to watch the show. Because it's obvious they don't give a damn. And yeah, like the 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 only real pranks that really got to me were one where uh Q, the I think the main guy that we were introduced to, the first guy, was giving a presentation at a social media conference and it cuts to parody porn parodies featuring his actual parents and like like it, you know, it's like his parents doing like the bits that that start out porno movies, and that was funny because his parents are are just you know are actually kind of funnier than he is, and the whole idea of like him giving a presentation and all of a sudden oh it's porn, oh how did that get in there oh dingus ah oh, beans, and then um the bit where uh Jaden shows up is kind of fun and then he convinces the one dude to get a new tattoo so it's updated um but he has some fun with it and that's about it because all the other jokes are just not all that fun they're not even all that funny they're not even all that funny of pranks it's like you have the funds available to you to make a movie and you're not even going to put in the effort to go... You know, like, that's why I'm very interested... What is the movie that Eric Andre is doing? There's one that Eric Andre is doing where um, him and Tiffany Hat. It's like an actual Bad Grandpa-style um, scripted movie, but the jokes are all going to be... Um, 
uh, you know, pranks and audience reactions, you know, people's reactions. Uh, Bad Trip, I think it's what it's called. Yeah. Tiffany Haddish. Yep, that's it. Um, So he's going to do a movie that's in the style of uh, Bad Grandpa. And it looks hilarious. It looks amazing. And that's what this, that's apparently what this, this was trying to be, but sucked at it. So Eric Andre is going to be, his, his looks amazing because you've got Eric Andre, Tiffany Haddish, as well as Lil Rel Howery, um, great comedians doing these insane stunts. And thankfully Eric Andre is not big enough of a name because this was the problem with um, Sasha Baron Cohen. He got too big. He couldn't keep doing these sort of reaction shows and movies because people knew would recognize, oh, you're you're that dude. You're that guy who played Borat. And so he couldn't do it anymore. Whereas Andre is still very underground. Like not a lot of people outside of comedy know him. And uh, he is able to get away, away with this. I think Tiffany Haddish may be just big enough where she may, where she's not going to be recognized as much, especially if they, especially since they make her look like you know just an average black woman. You, you wouldn't think of her as you know, you know, movie actor actress Tiffany Haddish. And they may have even shot this before she started really blowing up. Um, but that looks a, like a lot of fun. That's bad trip. That's coming out in April. This. Just stay home, watch Practical Jokers, the, you know, the TV series. Don't pay good money to sit through mediocre pranks. This is, this is, this is nothing. This is completely skippable. I wouldn't call this the blandest. I mean, it, it was funny enough that it wasn't bland, but it was definitely not worth spending money on. So don't waste, if, you, if this is playing at your local Cineplex, just skip it. Wait till Bad Trip comes out, because that's going to be way better. And so that's all the major releases this week. I didn't sit. I didn't have a lot of time to sit home and binge watch on an, uh, t- on streaming. So we're just going to cut straight ahead to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right. We're going to look at the box office report for this past weekend. Uh, we got... Three, well, two wide releases, and I guess I caught one limited release. So let's take a look at that. Uh, dropping out of the top ten, we've got Doolittle and Downhill. They dropped from nine and ten to twelve and thirteen. Uh, Impractical Jokers premiered at number eleven, so they couldn't even make. They've only got two point six million dollars. Do they list a budget? Um, no budget listed. Let me see about, let me get to Wikipedia as well, just in case it's not listed for the other ones either. So Practical Jokers, the movie, doesn't say what the budget is for that. It can't have cost more than that. So, um, yeah, kind of hope that this flops and then just stick to TV or and, you know, stay out of the movie business until they can come up with something better. So, uh, going from 4 to 10, massive, 77% drop was the photograph, which brought in $2.8 million this weekend, and so far it's brought its domestic gross up to 17.6, and yeah, there's only $50,000 from international audiences. It barely made package budget, so not a lot of people were into this, and... 
yeah, I was one of them. I didn't really get into it either. It was just kind of bland. You know, great actors and interesting concept, but just the filmmaker didn't really do it for me. So, I don't know. Maybe the next one will be better. I, I still want to check out uh, her pre- her other one. I forget what it's called. But, yeah. Uh, from 8 to 9, Jumanji the Next Level. $3 million, uh this weekend. Bringing it up to... Three, $310 million and worldwide $787 million. So still hanging in there. Jumanji, the next level, is still in theaters. Uh, number seven to number eight is Parasite, which brought in $3.1 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $48.9 million and its worldwide gross $204 million. And yeah, on a, I think like what, equivalent to $10 million budget, I think. Something like that. Whatever the Korean exchange rate was. Yeah, it's doing great business for uh bong jun ho and i'm really interested to see i don't know if i want the they've been they've announced an hbo series based on this movie and it's like you don't need to make it exactly the parasite it doesn't have to be parasite the series man just tell the story and do your own thing man god God, I hate the corporatization of Hollywood. It's all got to be about brand recognition. It's you just can't have the same. Like it'd be even better if you made your own thing, because then it would there would be a whole new IP. It's in your control. Ugh. Anyway, dropping from three to seven uh, with a sixty-six percent drop is Fantasy Island, which brought in four point one million dollars this weekend, bringing its domestic gross to twenty million dollars and its worldwide gross to thirty-three million dollars. But because Blumhouse does things on the cheap, it's more it's more than made back its budget. So but we'll see if he actually goes through if they actually go through with the Fantasy Island 2, or if it'll even stay a horror movie. Who knows? Staying at six is 1917, 4.4 million dollars, bringing it to 151.9 million worldwide, 347 million dollars. Good for it. Uh, staying at number five is Bad Boys for Life. Brought in $5.8 million, bringing its domestic to $191 million, and its worldwide to $391 million. So Sony's doing good. Uh, Fantasy Island made back its budget, and Bad Boys for Life made back its budget. Um, Jumanji's doing fantastic. So Sony Pictures is actually in a good spot right now. Uh, premiering at number four is Brahms The Boy 2, with $5.9 million, and... Overall opening weekend, $8.1 million. There's an extra $2 million from international markets. And at a budget of $10 million, it's going to make back its budget, no problem. I don't think it's going to be uh, successful enough to um, warrant a sequel. I really hope it's not, because between the terrible ratings and the and the barely able to make back its budget, I hope that this kills this series dead, because we don't need any more. Dropping from two to three is Birds of Prey, brought in seven million this weekend, seventy-two point five million domestic, and one hundred seventy-three point seven million worldwide. That's after three weeks. So yeah, internationally it's made back its budget and is well actually yeah, it's already on a yeah after three weeks it's in the it's in the black. So yeah, uh, I don't know if it's successful enough for them to like really get into a sequel. Territory. I know the uh, director has stated interest in doing another Harley movie and introducing Poison Ivy, and I am 100% behind that. Uh, like, immediately after um, seeing that movie, I'm like, well, 
well, they're going to bring in Poison Ivy, and it made me think, what if it's a rom-com? What if it's like a cha you know, chaotic evil or chaotic neutral rom-com? It's like the insanity of Birds of Prey with Harley Quinn, and then it's her having a meet-cute with Poison Ivy and trying to gain her affection the whole movie. And then it turns out they're all fighting either Batman or the Joker or, or some other, maybe Bane or something like that. But like the whole point of the movie is about um, Harley Quinn trying to um, get together with Poison Ivy. I think that would be fantastic. I'm all in for that. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, at any rate, premiering at number two is called The Wild, which brought in $24.8 million this weekend and um, has opened to a worldwide box office of $40 million. The movie cost $135 million to make. So while I enjoyed the hell out of this movie, it looks like it's going to be a flop. I don't th these, these aren't, thankfully, Cats numbers, but I'm not... But unless... Um, where is it released internationally? Let's check the international... All territories... Uh, come on. God damn it, come on. God damn it. Stupid box office mojo. Da -da -da, releases, similar movies. Where's the international... <sighs> you know what? Screw it. Let me, just, let me see something. I'm going back to my old buddies over at the numbers. I think uh, Amazon ruined box office mojo. Let me take a look at the numbers. Call of the Wild grossed $40 million international. There we go. Okay. Box Office Report is no longer brought to us by Box Office Mojo because Amazon ruined them. We're going to go over to v-numbers.com. If, so if you want to keep uh, in the same um, numbers, find this where I'm using the numbers, then um, I, I'm going to be using them over there. Uh, looks like they opened in Bulgaria, Italy, Mexico, Russia, and Turkey. Um, so it looks like... Let's see. Da, da, da. It did open at number one on uh, Friday, the opening weekend. So it just didn't... It just lost... It just lost, not, couldn't maintain that um, over uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. By the way, Sonic the Hedgehog is number one. Surprise. Um, but yeah, $40 million opening weekend internationally. If this opens in China and China can help get over the hump, it'll be at least able enough to make back its money. It'll make back its budget and some of its advertising because yeah, um, $40 million is not great opening weekend numbers. So, oof, sorry, buddy. Liked ya, but just, you yeah, just. Yeah, just weren't weren't it weren't big enough seller. How did how did freaking uh, the Call of the Wild get beat by Sonic the Hedgehog? People love that Sanic. People love them some Sanic. Uh, so uh, this weekend, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog brought in twenty six point three million dollars, which is still a, a half big over half loss from last weekend. But it's still big enough numbers to bring its domestic gross to $106 million. And worldwide, after t uh, two weeks, is $149.5 million. And the movie cost... Where's budget? The numbers usually has a budget, too. Uh, 
It's not listed. Full financials. Um, but the, 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 the not listed. Huh. Um. Where's the budget? Budget, 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 budget. Uh, it's not listed on the numbers. Okay. Go going over to Wikipedia for the Sonic the Hedgehog numbers. Budget was eight was eighty one to ninety five. Let's say ninety five uh, to include the cost of um, making of uh, re rendering Sonic. Um, this is saying two hundred and three million worldwide. Hold on, hold a tick. Mm, uh, international, big in Mexico apparently. Mexico's loving them some Sonic. Hmm. Where is Wikipedia getting $203 million? The numbers. Uh, retrieved February 23. So then why am I looking at it now and it says 140... Full financial details. Can't get that. Um, yeah. Hmm. Huh with that. That's weird. Wikipedia is saying it's over 200 million, but the same site that they're citing is giving us uh, 149 million. So I don't know what they're on about. Let me take a look at the citation I gave. Uh, that's the one I'm on that right now. Like, yeah, let's go to their main webpage. Maybe they'll. Friday estimates, trailer, beauty releases, previews. Um, huh. They must that must have been an old number that they cited. Anyway, um yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog is uh made back its budget. <laughs> Who saw that coming? But uh sadly it also rewards the studio for really bad decision making and uh anyway. I do I yeah, people are saying that Dwayne the Rock John they, they want to see Dwayne the Rock Johnson play uh Knuckles the Echidna. And somebody did a bit where they put uh the Rock's uh, voice over clips of Knuckles from Sonic X. I can see it. That same person also did uh, Keanu Reeves from John Wick over Shadow the Hedgehog. They've got a point. I don't know if you can convince Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Keanu Reeves to come on as uh, Knuckles and Shadow, but it can work. It can work. Oh, well. Next weekend, we've got uh, the major release is The Invisible Man, who I did not realize is made by uh, Lee Wanell, co-creator of Saw and uh, writer-director of one of my favorite movies from the past, from uh, 2017, Upgrade. Really, Upgrade is a phenomenal movie. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. But apparently, we, Lee Wanell is behind this Invisible Man movie, and I did not realize that. Also, they are citing it. It's based on the H.G. Wells book. I don't know how I don't know how accurate it is because it definitely does not feel like it's based on the on the book, um, but also somebody um, somebody brought up I think it was uh, either um, Gerard over at Redis One Hundred One Gerard no I'm thinking of uh, Gerard, I think I'm thinking of Gerard Mulligan over on Astronomy Club one of my favorite shows on Netflix Laron Redis over at Redis One Hundred One. Gerard, Gerard Mulligan is over on um, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood and the Astronomy Club. But uh, anyway, I think it may have been Laron or um, 
uh, somebody somebody brought up um, the uh, the uh, idea that this could be Blumhouse and Universal Pictures rebooting the Universal Monster movie verse. So Dark Universe was a flop because it was too big budget cinematic, whereas Blumhouse may take it and make it smaller budget, smaller scale, but still connected cinematic universe. I'm not against this. In theory, if Lee Whannell's movie does well enough, like, hell, I thought that once uh, I saw their Halloween remake and reboot and uh, seek whatever you want to call that from a couple years ago, I saw that and I wanted them to reboot and remake all of the old uh, 80s slasher movies. So if Universal and Blumhouse can read, can do, take their hand at uh, the at the Dark Universe and do it better, be my guest. I think they could have a better handle on how to make that a connected cinematic universe than the, the, the dumbasses behind Dark Universe. Um, the other one, expanding wide, uh, is going to be Emma. The adaptation of the book by Jane Austen. And I think I, I mentioned this previously, but um, yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be in it with Bill Nighy. Um, it's directed by Autumn DeWild, De De uh, who is, seems to be mostly a music video director. Um, he's done um, Florence and the Machine, Beck, lots of Beck. Mid-2006 Beck has all been directed by uh, Autumn DeWild. So there's that. And then Eleanor Catton is doing the screenplay. She, this is her own, This is her first major film. Um, and then she's going to be doing a show called The Luminaries based on the book. Or no, she wrote the book that The Luminaries is going to be ba is, is based on. Some miniseries somewhere. So yeah, these are uh, some, some newcomers. So, uh, it's getting good reviews so far. Um, who else is in it? Uh, Bill Nighy, Mia Goff, love the name. Um, Calvin Turner, Rupert Graves, Gemma, Gemma Whelan, Whelan uh, Tanya Roberts. Nobody I really recognize. The big ones I recognize are Anya and Bill Nighy. Anya, I did not realize, is one, Argentinian, because they were doing, a, uh, I think, for a press junket for Emma, and uh, she was uh, asked a question in Spanish, and she um, answered in Spanish, and she was speaking fluently. And like someone was posting on Twitter, like, "Holy, oh, you know, holy shit, uh, Anya Taylor Joy speaking fluent Spanish. Holy shit, she's Argentinian." And yeah, uh, Anya Taylor Joy is apparently Argentinian. Interesting, neat. Did not know that. Uh, but she is also going to be playing Kitty Pride in the New Mutants. I did not recognize what it was, and then somebody showed a picture of her with a with a stuffed dragon from the New Mutants, and uh, uh, said, "Oh, hey, look, it's Kitty Pride's dragon." I'm like, "Wait, yeah, that's the dragon." Well, ah, oh, crap. What's the what's the dragon's name? It's, I'm not as into the comics. I know basically in the comic books, Kitty Pride gets a pet dragon. Uh, what is it called? Um, there we go. Uh, bu -bu -bu phasing ability, but doesn't. Show, uh, come on. Where's the dragon? There is the dragon. Where is the dragon? What is the dragon's name? God damn it. Freaking Wikipedia is all over the place here. Hold on. Kitty P Pride Dragon. 
Uh, the dragon was featured in that, fa- that uh, Avengers Facebook game. Lockheed. Okay. So, yeah, Lockheed is big in the comics. Uh, most commonly associated with the X-Men. Alien Dragon, a longtime companion of Kitty Pride. Um, introduced in old Uncanny X-Men 153, 1983. So, apparently, Lockheed has been in the comics since freaking 1983. And, um, basically, there's a bit in, uh, in, um, the New Mutants where, uh, they show a shot of Anya Taylor-Joy with the dragon. It's like, hey, look, it's Lockheed. I'm like, wait, is she playing Kitty? Okay, here, before I, here we go. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Cannibal of the Mariah. Okay, no, it's not. She's playing magic. Wait, hold on. I thought, that for, I thought for some reason it was weird that she was playing Kitty Pride, but hold on. Let me take a look. Announced director da, 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 as a companion to magic. Okay, so Lockheed is going to be in New Mutants, not Kitty Pride. Fake news, Kitty Pride. So Lockheed the Dragon is apparently going to be featured, and you do see um, Anya with uh, a stuffed dragon, and someone pointed out, hey, look, it's Lockheed. I'm like, wait, is she playing Kitty Pride? No, she is playing a character named Magic, G-I-K, in uh, the movie Ileana Rasputin. Rasputina? Um, but yeah, that, she's, but yeah, Ileana Rasputin, um, it's gonna be the, is who she's playing, but, um, apparently Lockheed is gonna be in there as well, so, who knows, New Mutants is coming out in, um, April finally, so maybe, maybe there is gonna be a little baby dragon popping in in there, who knows, Lockheed conferred for the MCU, question mark? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, we'll see about that. That's coming far down the pipe. Uh, next weekend is going to be um, uh, Invisible Man and uh, Emma. And then uh, there's a theater nearby uh, in the next town over that's playing The Lodge. Uh, so I'm going to check that out as well. So yeah, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting our web browser. Be sure to check out all of our other fine programs while you're there. Uh, the Snarkcast with Donna, Once More with Feeling, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, uh, The Family Business. Dungeons and Dragon types, uh, which there will be a major announcement uh, on the new episode come Wednesday, but stay t- you know check that out. It's my, my uh, actual play D and D Fifth Edition modded with Pokemon, so go check that out. And um, yeah, uh, there'll also be the new episode of Living in the Stacks will be coming out hopefully later this week, so stay tuned for that. You can also find us on your various podcast providers. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever your podcasts are listened to. And if you could give us a five-star rating review, let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also find us on social media. I'm popcorn, uh, Facebook.com slash PopcornJunkie, at CornJunkiePod on Twitter, uh, at PopcornJunkiePodcast on Instagram, uh, at CornJunkiePod on Letterboxd. If you want to have full-length uh, written reviews for for the movies I watch, and that I'm still catching up. I'm up to January on um, Stardust, and I'm hoping to hope to get caught up uh, this week. I'm gonna try and get caught up this week. 
in uh, start on Stardust. So hopefully it shouldn't be too much longer since all the major stuff from the um, year end and decades recap have been got mostly gone through. So I should be up to um, the just the wide releases. So let's expect that to be caught up. So that's at Popcorn Junkie on Stardust as well. And I think that's about it on the social media front. You can also support us on Patreon.com at po- Patreon.com slash Popcorn Junkie. There are 10 uh, episodes each of Munch Along and Make a Better Movie. Make a Better Movie is where I take a look at movies that ha- have faltered in one way or another and ha- try to make it better from my point of view. And Munch Along is my attempt at doing a Riff Tracks show. Uh, so if you want to check those out, that's on Patreon.com slash Popcorn Junkie. And uh, as little as a dollar a month, you get access to those and can suggest content. The other thing I want to try out, hopefully this week, is uh, Corn Talks, which is um, the TED Talks discussion portion that I used to do as part of this podcast, but decided that became too tenuous, and I would rather do long-form audio essays, maybe video, depending on if we can get support for the show, but I would rather do it as long-form es- you know, audio essays on the topic rather than off the top of my head stream of consciousness stuff, especially since I was getting into, like, the history of black exploitation and, you know, discrimination in the media. There's so many things, that, that topics that I wanted to cover that were interesting and long-form, but they never quite worked for the discussion portion. And I would rather just split off the discussion portion into its own show Maybe for Patreon, maybe bring it on to the main feed, depending on what it depending on how popular it gets. But I would much rather put more effort into making not as consistent, but at least you know well thought out, well researched, um, you know discussion points rather than just me babbling like I do on this show. So uh, yeah, if you if you want to support that, go to Patreon.com/slash/PopcornJunkie. And uh, as little as $1 a month and you become a full-fledged patron, it's a monthly uh, donation thing and I have no tier system. Everybody is equal on my Patreon. Patreon. So um, if you have suggestions for topics you would like to see discussed or movies you would like to hear me riff or uh, movies you would like to hear, you know, hear me break down and make better. Send all, you know, you can do suggest all that. And if there is a movie you would like me to review on this main feed, uh, you could do so. All of this kind of stuff that um, was uh, was done by a tier system before is now open to the public. Floodgates are open. If there's something that you want to suggest me to do, do so through the Patreon. And I would love to get that up and running. So yeah, patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. And if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of comments you want to make on the movies that I reviewed, what did you think? Did you agree? Did you disagree? Send those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read your stuff out on the mic, then make sure you list it explicitly in either the the subject line or the message. Otherwise, I'll just simply paraphrase. That's it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and it's impossible for me to resist the call of the movies. I'm sorry, I had nothing better to end the show on this week. theme song for popcorn junkie is funky popcorn by the m look up funky popcorn by the letter m on soundcloud for more of their music artwork provided by nafio n-a-f-y-o look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork
You like gore. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gun, we can't have it. Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying than fiction?